Uh, I, my boys said I needed to come up here and, and to say Happy New Year this, this week. Um, Happy New Year because today marks the beginning of the new church calendar year. Advent 1 marks the new uh, church year. And so uh, it is anchored by the start of Advent uh, and, and our journey starts today as we head towards uh, Bethlehem again uh, as we go to Christmas. And so um, for those who, who follow the church year, this is, this is the, where we roll over from year A to year B in our, in our lectionary readings. Um, preachers and theologians are interesting folks. Um, I'm one of them, uh, sort of, uh, and uh, one of the things that, that we can sometimes be called is Scrooges and, and, and Grinches a little bit, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you right now, I blame Advent. I blame Advent. So you can call me a Scrooge, it's okay, you can call me a Grinch, but I'm going to the, pass the blame off on Advent. Advent is this, this weird season. Uh, in, the, in the life of the believer. So Christmas is all around, definitely. As you, as you come into to Advent, Christmas is on full display. Uh, you got the lights, you got the carols, you got the candy cane, you got the, the fudge, the Christmas cookies, the fruitcake. Uh, Christmas letters start coming, there's sales in stores, there's boxes and boxes of Amazon deliveries. Um, it's all around us. And the church and the faithful have, have this propensity, this urge to, to, to wait, to say, hang on, hang on, wait. And it's not a wrong urge, it's, it's a faithful urge. I would, I would say that it's good because we need, we need to wait. We need to have patience. There's value. There's tremendous value in this season of, of Advent. Number one, in, in, in this building of anticipation, in this expectation, Christmas is coming. It's not quite here yet. It's, it's on its way. And that's a good thing, to have that expectation. Number two, I, I think it has value because it, it helps us to enter into this, this phase of, of Messiah waiting. We don't, know, we don't know what that's like. We don't know what it's like to wait for Messiah for, for decades, for generations, for centuries. The nation of Israel had to wait for Messiah. And Advent is, is that moment where we step into that process and say, we need to pause. We need to yearn. We need to long for a Savior. And number three, I think there's value in, in, in helping us be ready to receive. When the Christ child comes, that that's celebration. We get to celebrate and have joy and receive, receive our king. So, so I don't want to be a Grinch. I, I don't want to be a downer about Christmas. And, and I'm not going to be. We're, we're not Scrooges. In fact, we, we, we hold in our hands, we hold in our heads the essence of the true Christmas celebration. And that's a beautiful thing. For, for Christmas is about Christ. We know why we give good and special gifts. Because our gift was given first. We know uh, why the decorations are up. We know why, why there's celebration all around. 
We know why there's Hallmark movies at Christmas time. We know why they make those predictable movies. Because of baby Jesus. And so as you go and as you, as you experience Christmas, even starting now and even starting a lot earlier, I, 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 saw, I saw exemptions in November on Facebook, right? Anyone that wants to celebrate Christmas early, go ahead because it's 2020 and no one's going to say a thing. But this Advent, let's wait expectantly. During this season of Advent, I really want to uh, encourage you to wait expectantly. Enter into that Messiah waiting. Israel had to do it for hundreds of years. We have four weeks. We can do it. Let's wait expectantly. Um, also, during this season of Advent, I really want to encourage you to participate with, with your church family in reading this Advent devotional. We have them um, free out on the table in the back, one for each family. Uh, if you need to sneak two because you need it in two places, go ahead. It's all right. No, no one's watching. Um, but, but the reason that we provide these for you is that, that they have readings for you for every day in Advent, starting with today. Today's the first reading. Uh, it even has the day printed in the book. Read this on December 1st. Read this December 5th. Um, it was uh, published by our church um, and, and written by a pastor, even on our district, actually, this year. Um, do the readings. There's a couple, two or three uh, two or three questions to help you process each day. Um, so we're excited. Uh, as you're able today, we're going to open our, our uh, Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64 this morning. As you are able, would you uh, stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading from verse 1 through verse 9 today from the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. If only you would tear open the heavens and come down, mountains would quake before you. Like fire igniting brushwood or making water boil. If you would make your name known to your enemies, the nations would tremble in your presence. When you accomplished wonders beyond all our expectations, when you came down, mountains quaked before you. From ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God but you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You look after those who gladly do right. They will praise you for your ways. But you were angry when we sinned. You hid yourself when we did wrong. We have all become like the unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a menstrual rag. All of us wither like a leaf. Our sins, like the wind, carry us away. No one calls on your name. No one bothers to hold on to you. For you have hidden yourself from us and have handed us over to our sin. But now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. All of us are the work of your hand. Don't rage so fiercely, Lord. Don't hold our sins against us forever. But gaze now on your people, all of us. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. So uh, this is one of the favorite parts of, of, 
the sports year for, for one, of, one of the sports that I like to follow. This is my favorite time of the year for baseball season. <laughs> they're not playing right now. Um, and I follow the Mariners, and when they're not playing, they're not behind. So this is like one of my favorite times of the baseball season. Like we're tied up, 0-0, we're zero games back. That doesn't last long for us Mariner fans. Um, so it's it's one of my one of my favorite times. I it's funny if you if you follow sports teams, uh, the off season, you know, the writers still need a job, those journalists, and so uh, every team has this <laughs> this great hope, this this great expectation that man changes are being made and they've found the right pieces and they've put it together, um, and hope springs eternal for for baseball season in in December. Uh, and, and so I don't really follow it much. There's not a lot to, to read or to talk about, but it is fun being in first place for five or six uh, months of the year. <laughs> we, we live in a world where, where people of action, being people of action, is, is glorified. We see that even in the text that we read. As, as we open it up into, into Isaiah and we step into uh, this, this journey that the Israel nation, Israelite nation is on, Isaiah says at the very beginning, as he opens up in, in chapter 64, come down. God, come down, come do something, come get something done. And we live in a world where that's, that's, that's glorified. Get the job done, do the work, get the results, push through, get her done, show progress. And this has always been the case. This is not a new reality. Look at this passage, right? Where, where does the prophet start? If only, if only you would bring back the good old days. Come down with hair blazing on fire and watch the mountains tremble. Isaiah is calling back to these days when he, when God acted on behalf of the nation of Israel. But the reality of Isaiah 64 is we drop in for this first reading of the year on a lament. On a note where where the prophet is saying, we're in tough times right now. What is a lament? A lament is a cry, a cry out to God, a cry of injustice, a cry of pain. But they usually start with the memory of God's action and intervention. God used to show up. Do you remember that time? Do you remember when? Israel's was, it was God's nation and he led them up out of Egypt and through the desert into the promised land. Psalm 80, the, the, the psalm that was read today, is a lament. It starts with the, shepherds, uh, the, the shepherd of Israel, full of might, save us. And did you hear the reading? We were fed with the bread of tears. We were served tears to drink the scorn of our neighbors. The enemies laugh at us. And then at the end, laments, have this cry out to God, restore us, save us, return us. And that's the same story in, in 
Isaiah. That is where they were. We, we kind of read only down to verse 9, but, but when you look a little bit further, and I know some of you do that when we have uh, scripture passages, you kind of read a little bit further and that's okay. Verse 10 and verse 11 say this, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a wasteland. Our holy, glorious house where our ancestors praised you has gone up in flames. All that we treasured has become a ruin. Here they were standing in the rubble. Uh, the, the glorified promised land that many of them had only heard about in stories. You see, the Israelite people had been exiled. Exiled in a faraway land. Exiled in Babylon. And they had returned to this promised land. They'd been in exile a while. Have you ever had that experience? <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever gone back? Have you ever returned to a place that you remembered as a child was like the best place ever? You go back and, and you arrive and you step out of the car and, and you look around and say, Really? <laughs> This, this isn't the same place. This is what I was so excited about. Uh, something must have happened since I was here as a child. I don't know. And there's always the, <laughs> the parent or the older sibling that steps in to deflate your dreams, right? No, it was always this gross. <laughs> uh, this is the, no, this is how it was. Not sure why you loved it so much, but we thought we'd bring you back here. Here they were. Standing in Israel, perhaps at the very site of the temple. Likely after this long journey, this excited journey, that King Cyrus, the, the Babylonian king, had set them free, said, return, go home, enjoy, go back to this promised land that's in your collective memory, that was this place of, of hopes, that was this place of, of dreams coming true, this, this gift from your God, from Yahweh. And they were headed home. And in a profound contrast between <laughs> expectation and reality, they find their land in ruins. And their heads hang. And their spirits deflate. And here we find occasion to lament and the prophet starts with, God, come down, rend the heavens, act as you once did, make the mountains tremble. Restore us, God. It, it, it's the second half of, of verse 5 that we begin to, to see the, the problem where, where Isaiah begins to unpack this lament. Uh, Isaiah is a bold prophet. Okay, Isaiah uh, doesn't, doesn't pull any punches when he's talking about where the problem of this nation has come from. He says, we sinned. He says, we have sinned. Our, our unclean, righteous deeds, our sins, we didn't call on God. We don't call on God. We didn't cling to God. But Isaiah also kind of blames God. Isaiah pins it on God too. God's angry. God had hidden himself from us. God hiding from Israel. God released us 
to our sins. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying, yeah, we did our part, but, but God, God walked away from us too. God let us down. Prophets of the Old Testament are, are, are pretty frank with God. They're pretty, they, 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 they say pretty honest things to this God that they revere and this God who has called them. But he was pretty frank with the people too. And said, said the people were the cause. The people had walked away. We messed up. We were off base. I had, a, I had an Old Testament professor in, in college who, who said something. Well, he said a lot of things. <laughs> but, but this one really stuck. Um, the, the Old Testament prophets were, were so much caught up, were, were not so much caught up in foretelling as they were in forth-telling. Say that again. The prophets of the Old Testament weren't so much caught up in in foretelling as they were forth-telling. So let me me explain that a little bit. Lots of times we think about the role of prophets as as this person that's going to tell us about what will happen in the future. Okay, that's foretelling. That God speaks to them and they say, this is coming. That's kind of what we think of sometimes when we think about prophets. But a lot of the prophets of the Old Testament were more forth-telling. Forth-telling is different. Forth-telling is, is a word about where we are headed, the future, because of where we are at, which is the present, because of the choices we have made, which is the past. And a lot of times we think of prophets only as that, that, that person with divine knowledge of what's going to happen. A lot of times the prophets were like, we're here we're here because of what we did. And the direction we are going is this direction. And a lot of the times the prophets were the ones that say, repent, let's turn. It's not set in stone, it hasn't happened, let's correct our course. This rubble they were standing in is the rubble of their own making. The destroyed temple, the Jerusalem in ruins, was the rubble of their own making. <laughs> Come on now, Trent. They, they, they didn't knock down the bricks. They didn't swing the wrecking ball into the side of the temple. You're right, they didn't. But some of them probably were in Jerusalem for the very first time. Maybe many of them standing on, site, on that site for the very first time. Scholars believe maybe 50 years they had remained uh, in, in exile before Cyrus had freed them. But they needed to come to the point, and Isaiah knew this, they needed to come to the point where they understood that they were standing in the rubble of their own making. I think that is a critical part of confession. That's a critical moment in the the practice of confession is, is owning where we find ourselves. Not only... Our personal sin, that's important. But maybe even our collected, our collective brokenness. But an important part of, uh, of the process of standing there is saying, this is, this is my story. This is where I find myself. Not that I knocked over the temple. Not that I was there 50 years ago when we were sent into exile. But for the people of God, we need to own 
or state of brokenness, not just personal. Sometimes that's uh, American Christianity has turned this journey so individualistic. And sometimes we have to own the place that we are collectively as well. And I think that's what Isaiah was calling the nation of Israel to, to say, look where we've found ourselves. That we walked away from God, so God hid from us. And I think this is Advent waiting for us. Sitting in the rubble. The story of Israel is is full of this waiting. Abraham was brought to this new land, and what was the promise that God made Abraham your descendants will outnumber the stars. He says, wow, that's cool. I can't wait for that. And then he had no children. And he had no children. Took matters into his own hands. God's like, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. Turns 80, turns 90. 100 years old, he has his first son. It was a story of waiting. The people of Israel brought to Egypt by famine. Remember, they, they, they came to Egypt voluntarily. Joseph had been sent there, prepared the way, stored up the grain in Egypt, and he saved his own family, the nation of Israel. And what happened? They ended up in slavery. And they had to wait, and they had to wait until Moses led them out. They came to the promised land. They're a river away from the promised land. And they're like, wow, that place looks great, but there's people there. <laughs> what, what are we supposed to do? They send 12 across the river. Ten of them come back and said, man, we're in trouble. Are you sure this is the right address? <laughs> Siri, did you take me to the right place? Two of them say, this is the land that God promised us. Let's enter in. But they listened to the ten. And their story of waiting lasted 40 more years as they wandered in the wilderness. They didn't have the faith in that moment. The exile to Babylon, and here they return. The waiting is over. And they come and find Israel in ruin. And centuries of silence waiting for the Messiah. This is Advent. This is part of the faithful journey of the people of God. To say we wait. And Advent invites us back into that story. And it's so important that we sense the need for that waiting, for that expectation. For this is the story of the people of God that has been repeated time and time again. Where is the hope, though? Where is the hope in this passage? The hope is found in verses 8 and 9. As Isaiah finishes up this lament in this section, he, he, he says, but now. <laughs> if, you, if you read in this uh, devotional today, um, the writer talks about the gap between verse 7 and 8. And, and in most Bibles printed, there's actually a, a physical gap where, where the prophet Isaiah is talking about all that has gone on and all the disappointment and God has left us and we, we disobeyed. God hid his face from us. And then it says in verse 8, but now, but now you 
are our father. You are our potter. And our prayer becomes, make us like obedient daughters and sons. Make us like clay in your hand that can make circles and snakes. See us in our broken estate and heal our land, we pray. Oh, the hope of the prophet's words, even in the midst of sharp lament, even standing in the rubble, our hope is found as we place our lives into the hands of God, into being held by the Father. That is our hope. That is the hope of the Advent candle today. I wonder today if we don't find ourselves surrounded by what feels like a bit of rubble today. With the rubble of a, of a divided country in, in, in some ways, divided over an election, divided over our future, divided over past and current injustices. With the rubble of separation, relational separation, the rubble of a fear of a virus and skepticism about the appropriate response. Some of us face these holidays in the rubble of grief, having lost someone recently, having lost a, a meaningful relationship. There's discord and divide and division. This has been a difficult season. What, what is a faithful response today? Hope. We are called to be the people of hope. We are called as people of God to understand that we have hope in the rubble. It's, it's not like a hope like, I hope it snows today. <laughs> or I hope I get that big Lexus with the big red bow or big diesel pickup truck with the big red bow for Christmas this year. It's this hope that stirs from deep within, part of us. Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian, said this about hope and faith. He says, faith is the foundation upon which hope rests, but hope nourishes and sustains faith. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't write that, so that's really good. I'm going to read it again. Faith is the foundation upon which hope rests, and hope nourishes and sustains our faith. There's this energy, this, this connectivity between faith and hope that the journey of faith is a, is a journey of hope too, that we don't despair, that we don't give up. That we know the baby is coming. And as we wait, we hope a deep and profound and a life-changing type of hope. It's in this posture of, of hope that we wait during lament. William Brown wrote this, Waiting for God is no passive endeavor. Waiting for God. Waiting for God. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. Waiting for God is no passive endeavor. It involves painful longing and bold allegiance. In short, a passionate patience. It is a tensive, a tension-filled waiting charged with the pathos of lament and conjoined with the joy of remembrance and the anticipation of praise. It is a tensive waiting charged with the pathos of lament, the feeling of lament, 
that's conjoined with the joy of remembrance and the anticipation of praise. This is our hope, church. Will we long? Will we stand in allegiance this Advent? Will we lament? Will we joyfully remember? And will we anticipate? I hope we will. I hope you will. I hope I will this season of Advent. I'm drawn in this year to be part of the faithful who are called to receive the King as he comes in an obscure place in a tucked away corner of Bethlehem, almost unnoticed, almost unnoticed, born born to a scorned, unwed teenager and her tradesman fiancé. We have great hope this Advent season. And to receive the Christ child as king is to receive hope this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today, today we enter into this season of waiting. This, this, this connection with so much of what the story of your word leads us to, a story of anticipation, a, a story of, of hopeful waiting. God, for these four weeks, we commit ourselves to this journey with you. So much of our life is rush, rush, rush. So much of our life is looking to the next thing. And Would you help us to wait? In the midst of this celebration, this joyous season, would you help us enter into that story of Messiah waiting today? That when the Christ child comes, we can receive our King again. Thank you for the hope that you offer and thank you for this this means of grace, this, this ritual of communion this Eucharistic meal, God, builds our faith that, that, that helps us in our journey, but which gives us great hope today. Each of us standing in what, what feels like rubble at times, God, give us that hope, the hope that Christ brings as we wait again for the celebration of the Christ child. Be with us today, God, and with us this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand this morning and extend your hands to receive the benediction taken this morning from the 25th Psalm. Show us your ways, Lord. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. Amen. 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 Go in the love of Christ.